Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a blessing to be here with you this morning. As Harold had introduced me, my name is Daryl Solanka. It's kind of hot there. I'm here with my wife, Jessica. I'm kind of the plus one, you know, if you've never been in that situation. So one good thing about having a guest preacher, it makes you appreciate when you have a good preacher here all the time. So you are, you are blessed, I know that. Uh, we have, we've been, as Harold said, Jessica and I have been in Arkansas for almost a year, uh, Dover, Arkansas. We're just barely in northwest Arkansas. I'd call it central, but not according to the map. Um, so that is it. We're originally from East Texas, uh, what I'd call God's country, but you might say the same thing here. So. Anyway, it is a, a blessing to be uh, with brothers and sisters. That is always a blessing, no matter where we go, to be in the presence of our brothers and sisters, because we do share in the faith of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, there are benefits to having brothers and sisters, but there's also some annoyances of having brothers and sisters. If you have brothers and sisters in your family, your blood family, which this is blood family too, but you know what I mean, in your natural family, then you know that brothers and sisters can be irritating. I have a sister that is 10 years younger than me, and she's not too annoying. We've grown closer together as we've gotten older, but you know, there's those times where brothers and sisters can be annoying. You know, you can even look on Google for instructions on how to annoy your brother and sister, which I thought was pretty interesting. So I'm going to give you a few of those. Uh, most of them really apply to younger people. So if you're younger, pay attention if you need some new tips on annoying your brother and sister. Remove your siblings from their activities. Just pick them up and take them, take them somewhere else. If they're on a computer, pick them up and carry them into another room. That sounds like a pretty good way to annoy somebody. Or to irritate them. Don't say anything, just do it. Right? That even adds even more to it. Go into the shower or behind the bathroom door and wait until they come into the bathroom and jump out and scare them. That's always fun. That's not just brothers and sisters, right? You can do that to your wife. You might get punched in the face, but you know, that it can happen. I try not to do that, or at least I, you know, I do it back up just a little bit. You can also follow your siblings around wherever they go. And if they ask you what you're doing, just don't say anything. That's pretty annoying or irritating. Repeat everything they say. That is the best one, right? That works no matter what. But my point is brothers and sisters can be very irritating. This is a good one, even if you're adults. If you have a house key to one of your family members, go rearrange the furniture. That'll throw them off. They'll wonder what happened. That's a good one, though. But I want to let you know that irritating brothers and sisters is scriptural. It is scriptural. I've got scripture to back it up, okay? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, the NIV says, Let us consider how we might provoke or irritate one another. It actually says spur one another on, but if you look at the definition of that, it is to irritate. So it's okay to irritate our brothers and sisters. But not to get too irritated with one another, right? But it's okay to irritate. The Greek word in this scripture means irritating, provoking, inciting, like a riot. You know, but what is this riot? And I'll get into that, okay? So don't take me way out of context here. 
But Vine's Expository Dictionary says, describes it this way, sharp. This word is used in other scripture to describe the contention between Paul and John Mark. You know about that whole situation. Using a positive context, though, to irritate or provoke one another is to sharpen one another. Right? You sharpen a knife before, doesn't it require the right amount of force? What happens if you put too much force? What do you do? You dull it, right? You may knock the edge off there. So it requires the right amount of force, the right direction. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about irritating one another. As Scripture will say it. The NIV says, let us consider how we might spur one another on, and then it gives us direction, toward love and good deeds. So I'm going to read that scripture again. I like the NASB, but I like the NIV too. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, King James will say boldness, I like that one, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body or his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly or hold firmly, unmoved, some versions will say, to the hope we profess. So we're holding firmly to that. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on. I think I'm in the right neck of the, the woods here to talk about spurring, right? There are some cowboys around here. You know, I am from Texas, but I ain't no cowboy, okay? <laughs> I've ridden a horse a few times, but that's about it. So we're spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. I think that's the one that we'll normally high center on there. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I really like the NIV because we can get that visual of spurring, can't we? We know what it means. I mean, if you like to watch rodeo, I really do like to watch rodeo, to see somebody just rearing back and spurring that thing. You know, that's exciting to watch, isn't it? Now think about spurring your brothers and sisters on. Okay, that's, you know, that, we might need to know how to do that. We need to know how to do that, right? Scripture says to do it, but how do I do it? Okay, so we're, we're going to get there. Just bear with me. So why do these Hebrew Christians need to be spurred on? Why? Because they're getting discouraged. They're wanting to turn back to what they've already been, what was inferior to them. They're wanting to turn back to Judaism. We might say, well, I'm not a Jew. Is there still the temptation, though, or can there be the temptation to go back to our old way of life? Why? It's because it's, it's what we know. It's what's convenient. You know, you, it's kind of like, you know, something irritating something, wearing it down. It makes a pattern, doesn't it? A trail, ruts, you get ruts in your yard. It's easy to get fall back in that rut. And that's not what we want to do, right? So this letter is meant, the, the letter to the Hebrews, to be a word of exhortation for these Christians. The writer says in 13, in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 22, Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. For in fact, I have written to you quite briefly. That's an interesting word there too, to bear with this. It might be kind of hard to take then, maybe some of what Paul's 
or not Paul, I don't want to assume it's Paul, the Hebrew writer, okay? I don't know if it's Paul or not. I don't think it is. Apparently, some of them have moved away from the faith, right? They, what did they do? They just were giving up meeting together. It wasn't important to them. How important is it for us to be together? We're all here, so we obviously think it's pretty important, right? It's important. Why? Because that's an opportunity for us to not only to worship together, because we could do that anywhere, right? We can worship together, but it's also an opportunity to fellowship with one another. I appreciate this large area out here. We don't have this at our, at our building back home. We have that time to get together, to really, how was your week? You know, we really learn about each other. We learn what each other, what each other are going through, but also, what does my brother or sister need from me? Does my brother or sister need prayers? Maybe they have some physical needs. How do I find out about that? So, right? We need, to, we need to fellowship more than what we do. Look in Acts, right? Every day? Well, maybe, if we can. I think there's scripture. Apparently, some of them were moved away from faith and hope in Jesus. They were going back to Judaism, as I said. So they had stopped meeting together. How many of you, I mean, with the snow, how many of you like to sit around a fire? Right? It's nice to sit around a fire. That's one of the things living in Arkansas a lot of, there's a lot of trees. Our house doesn't have a fireplace. It's got an outdoor fire pit, but that's not the same. I've got to sit out in the cold, you know, to enjoy the fire. That doesn't make any sense. But what happens when you take a coal out of the fire? It goes out, doesn't it? Could that, could that same thing happen if we're not together? If we're not spurring one another on towards love and good works? That's spurring on. We need to irritate each other a little bit. We need to learn how to take that, too. So this can happen to us as Christians. We might get discouraged. We might be removed from the fire of fellowship. And what happens? Our fire can go out. That's a real risk. We should be concerned about that. Praise God that COVID is, I guess, either it's slacked off or we've just gotten used to it. It hasn't hindered our getting together as much as it used to. Praise God. You know, because it is a blessing. It's a blessing to have a convenient place to meet together. Now, I'm sure if you had to, you could meet in each other's homes, right? And maybe you've done that. I know we did that during COVID, you know, whenever COVID really was hard and heavy there as well. Left to ourselves, there's a risk that we go back to our old way of life. The Hebrew writer gives these readers and us words of encouragement and warning and comfort. This is all wrapped up. That's one of my favorite books is the book of Hebrews. There's just so much there, even though I'm not a Jew, you know, or hadn't been a Jew. The Hebrew writer spends most of the letter reminding the Jewish Christians what they have in Jesus. Do we know what we have in Jesus? We have confidence that we can persevere no matter how difficult it gets. Sometimes, though, we do need that spurring because we get caught in that, that track, that rut. We need to spur each other on. And I keep saying this for emphasis, right? Because we want to spur each other on. It's scriptural. Irritate each other. Annoy each other a little bit. The Hebrew writer spends a lot of time telling us how Jesus is superior to anything. Praise God. Do we have our faith in the one that is above every name? We bow before him. Turn sideways here must hold firm to our faith, firm to our hope. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, 
The Hebrew writer will say that we hold firm to our faith. We hold firm, but we don't hold still. Right? There's a real problem holding still. Get stagnant. We lose, we just lose something. We don't hold still. So we spur each other on towards love and good deeds. We encourage one another, the writer will say. So how do we do this, right? That's, we see the scripture there. How do I do this? What's in the scripture? Consider how we might stir, spur one another on. Consider. What does it mean to consider something? To put some thought into it. To lay eyes on it. To observe. To try to understand. That's what that means. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We must first consider. Fix our eyes on our minds. Talk to one another, right? We have to talk to each other to know what each other are going through. How can I meet your need if I don't know what your need is? How can you meet my need? Maybe you want to meet my need. Maybe you don't. I don't know. It's funny, you know, whenever somebody has a physical need, don't we know that? Most of the time we know it. We can see it. I'm going to tell you if I have a physical need. I ate barbecue yesterday and I had real bad indigestion. That was a physical ailment, you know, <laughs> But we know it when each other are suffering physically. Do we know when each other are suffering spiritually? We're a lot less open to share those kind of things. So it takes some detective work, if we want to call it that, some digging into this to try to understand, to consider, the writer will say. What does my brother need spiritually? What does my sister need? What is their current situation? What do they have going on? Basically, what do they need? Whatever their need is. Isn't that the responsibility of the church? To meet each other's needs? Look in the book, book of Acts. They might need to stop doing something. Sin, right? We address sin with each other. We have to have that relationship to be able to do that, first of all. Because who am I to go to somebody and say, you've got a sin you need to address if I don't know my brother or my sister, if we don't have that close relationship? I'm sure if you're married, your husband or wife has no problem telling you what you do wrong. It's because you're close, right? It's that devotion. Scripture talks about being devoted to one another. Right? There's that devotion. We're going to hang in here for the long haul. And I appreciate what was said during the Bible class this morning. Right? We get together and we talk about some things, but we also are devoted to it. If we don't get our way, so what? Okay, that's, that's how we approach that. But our needs do vary from time to time. Do you need different things in, in different stages of your life, different ages? Right, you have different needs. As my wife said earlier, you know, if you have aging parents, you're dealing with that. If you have young kids, you're dealing with that. You have different needs. Maturity in Christ, don't we have different needs? We do. So we need to consider one another. Consider how we might spur one another. Sometimes people will tell us. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes we need to ask. We need to be irritating a little bit. As brothers and sisters, we do have, there's privileges of being part of the body, right? There are privileges. There's also responsibilities. Those go hand in hand. Privileges and responsibilities. I have someone to encourage me. You have someone to encourage you. Wow. It's funny how that works. It's almost like God knew what he was doing. 
We have to watch each other's backs. We might be a little arrogant maybe or prideful. We might say, well, I'm good. I don't need anybody to spur me on. I'm right where I need to be. We might need to check ourselves a little bit there. You might be where you think you need to be or you where God thinks you need to be. And I'm talking to myself. I'm not casting down stones at anybody. I know I'm not where I want to be. What are we, what's our goal? To be found mature in Christ. That's a maturing process, right? That takes time. It takes effort. Praise God that we do have the Spirit working within us. And we do have God's Word. Amen? Our objective in building one another up is so that each of us may be fully mature in Christ. Fully mature. Okay? Fully mature. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. I'll give you a second to get there. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. The NIV says it this way. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Right? That's the end goal. In Ephesians, he says it this way. Chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be what? Built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And what? Become mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Again, this requires some spurring each other on. If we're going to... If our goal really is to be scriptural, to be the church that Jesus died for, then we want to be found mature in Christ. That means we have to be in each other's business a little bit. Hmm. How else can I know your spiritual status? Well, that's not your business, isn't it? I think Paul and any other writer in the New Testament would argue against that. Why? Because he sends all these letters. Obviously, he's concerned. Why? Is it so I can be just Mr. Busybody or, or Miss Nosy Pants? You know, is it something like that? No. It's because we want to be built up until we reach the fullness of Christ. This requires some closeness and transparency. There's something to be said about some groups, and I don't agree with everything that they do, about AA. There's something to be said about that community and transparency. That closeness. Right? You might not know your last name and all that business. I freely tell you what I'm struggling with. Why? Because you're struggling with the same thing. Are we all in the flesh? Do we have different struggles? Yes, but we all struggle. Right? That's an ongoing battle. Until we go to be with Jesus. The writer says in Hebrews, Consider, watch, be mindful, pay attention. Why? so that I can help my brother or sister to not only remain faithful, but to grow in faith, to bear fruit, 
The fruit here that the Hebrew writer talks about is what? Love and good deeds. We want to produce fruit. What do you do with a tree that's not producing fruit? I might as well cut it down. If it's a fruit tree, it's not really doing me any good. In Hebrews chapter 6, In verse 10, the Hebrew writer tells us, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love. Hmm, those are the same things that he talks about. Consider and spur each other on to. He will, not con- he will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Continue to help them. You see that? It's not you didn't just help them. You continue to help them. Verse 11, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end. It's an ongoing thing. So that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit what has been promised. They have been loving. They have been working. But they have to be careful not to be lazy, not to become lazy. I don't know about you, Maybe this is wrong for a preacher to say this. I can lay down if I get the opportunity. You know, I say, you know, sometimes we need, we need that spurring on so that we keep moving. Praise God that he's given me a wife to encourage me, not let me get lazy. And I don't let her get lazy either, for sure. <laughs> so do you think it's a concern for Christians today that we don't become lazy? I think it is. I think it's a legitimate concern. So maybe I need to take these words from the Hebrew writer under advisement, under consideration, and put them into practice. We need to remain diligent until the very end. So we need to be spurred on so we don't stop. Other times we need spurring to get going, right? We're not even moving. We need to be spurred on to get out of the gate. We have so many opportunities to show our love, but we need to be spurred on sometimes. I need that. I need to be encouraged to do some things that I haven't been doing. I maybe need some encouragement, some spurring on to stop doing some things that I have been doing. It works both ways. Paul and the Hebrew writer both encourage us to keep loving, to keep doing good. The Hebrew writer, as I've said several times, says spur one another on to love and good works or good deeds. I found that pretty interesting because that's the same thing Jesus talks about, good deeds. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your what? Good deeds. And what? Glorify your Father in heaven. Right? That's the goal. Is he worthy of all of our praise, honor, and glory? Amen, he is. We need to be spurred on so that we can do these good deeds. So that God's glorified. Not so we get that pat on the back, you know. I do like a pat on the back, but, you know, it's not for me. It's not about me. Didn't you say that this morning in class? not about you. That's one of my favorite things. We had a preacher that went to sunset as well. It's not about you. The church is not about you. It's about the Lord. It's about our brothers and sisters. We're all looking out for one another. We're okay. 
Good works not only show our love for one another, but they point people to God. How many of people have been reached through doing good deeds? Right? I mean, that's why we go out there and do that stuff. Not just because we want to meet people's physical needs, because we do, don't we? But we want to meet people's spiritual needs. That's the greater thing. We can become tired or lose motivation. And we need someone to remind us to continue to act in love, to continue to do these good deeds that glorify God. We need to give each other permission to call each other out. How does that happen? Again, I'm, I'm pointing back to the same thing. This closeness, this consideration, this knowing each other. If you see me doing something wrong and y'all, you don't have a chance, so maybe I can get it. I'm, I'm not trying to get it past you, but. You know, if we're around each other enough, though, we have to give permission to call each other on the carpet. If we want to call it that. If we see each other doing something wrong, something that does not glorify God, we need to love each other enough to say something, to love each other. That means irritating each other a little bit as brothers and sisters. We understand that and we accept that in our close family relationships, don't we? Oh, that's my sister. She annoys me, but we love each other. (laughs) Do we say that about our brothers and sisters in the chair right beside us, either side of us? You know, they love me. That's why they spur me on. That's why they irritate me. We all need to grow up spiritually because I don't think, I don't think any of us are really where we want to be. We need that spurring. Scripture tells us, as I've already shared some scriptures, that we want to be diligent until the very end, right? To the end of the race, right? Doesn't scripture talk about the race a lot? Paul will talk in the letter to the Thessalonians about excelling still more. You've been loving each other. You've been doing all this. But do it more. Can you love someone too much? I don't think so. Now, I'm not talking about some things that are detrimental to your health and some things like that, but I'm talking about in the context of loving our brothers and sisters. Can we love each other too much? I don't think so. We can excel still more. So what is the side effect of not encouraging each other, not spurring one another on? What's the side effect of that? Well, in Hebrews chapter 3, and I would like you to turn there, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. And again, let me repeat my question. What is the side effect of not encouraging one another, of not spurring one another on? Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The devil is our adversary, isn't he? Doesn't he try to tempt us to sin? If we're not spurring one another on to continue to grow in Christ, that's a real risk. That sounds pretty serious to me. Does it sound serious to you? 
Let me read that again. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What happens when you harden your heart? I was watching the Ten Commandments on TV last night. What happened when Pharaoh hardened his heart? So we have to use the spurs. Don't be afraid to use the spurs. But we need to recognize that we don't always have to use the spurs. When you're riding a horse, do you always have to spur the horse? It's not always necessary. As I said, I am from Texas, but I'm not a cowboy at all. And I'm definitely not a cowboy fan, okay? By that, I mean Dallas Cowboys, okay? (laughs) Amen. So knowing my limitations... I did seek some outside counsel, right? Some, that's what you do. That's wisdom. Not to say that I'm that wise, but I seek outside counsel because I don't know that much about riding horses or using spurs, as, I'm, as the, the NIV says. So I did reach out to, on the internet, but I did verify it. It's on the person's website. It's not just where it is. Okay, so good. I'm glad I got some acknowledgments. I wouldn't have known unless I looked. But so... He rode at the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association level. He specialized in bull riding. He does a lot of training in horses and horsemanship. Okay? So I want to give you some things that I looked at online that he suggested about using spurs because he knows about, he knows about horses and riders. So might that be some good, a good place to turn? But let's see if it's applicable, okay? Since we are talking about spurring one another on. So this is what he said about using the spurs. And again, he's a professional cowboy. Spurs are a tool to communicate what is desired. Okay, that sounds pretty good. Spurs are a tool, not a weapon. So consider all this. I want you to consider this when we talk about spurring one another on. Spurs can be abusive in the wrong hands or if used incorrectly. The use of spurs takes practice. Spurs are not for stabbing or jabbing. Used correctly, they apply pressure, not pain. So when we talk about spurring one another on, we're not trying to injure one another, are we? We're trying to apply pressure. He also says, be mindful of how and when you use your spurs. Remember, I'm using this in the context of spurring one another on. And I think there is application here. He kind of summed it up this way. Consider the person, their experience, the situation, and the circumstances. Is that something we should consider when we're talking about spurring one another on, irritating each other? I think it is. Consider the person, their experience, we might say maturity, their situation, and the circumstances. I think that sounds like good advice. At least I thought it it did. I hope that maybe you can make application of that. As brothers and sisters, we do enjoy responsibilities. Those are privileges. To have responsibility is a privilege. Who doesn't like to be given a job? We're given a job to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We need each other. So something to consider. Maybe this will spur you on a little bit. Is there anything you can be doing to serve? Do it. So how is that spurring someone else on? 
If I see you doing it, you can invite me to do it with you. What does that build? Relationship, doesn't it? Fellowship. And we're growing in Christ. We're working together. We're accomplishing something. We're serving other people. We're doing good deeds for other people that they might glorify God in heaven. So that's one way. Another way we might consider spurring one another on is, is there something that you know that your brother or sister is talented at? Tell them. Tell them how you appreciate their talent and help plug them in. Hey, have you considered this? You can serve in this way. Use your gift. Why do, you, why do we think God gave us gifts? It's to serve. Serve the body. Maybe you know how you want to serve, but there's not an application to do that. I'm sure you can talk to the leadership here, and I'm sure they'll get you plugged in. Harold will get you plugged in. Harold, you got work that could be done? Okay, let's spur each other on. If you have some ideas and ways to serve, don't be quiet about it. Let's spur each other on. Sometimes we might overlook, or something we might overlook in spurring one another on is the power of a word of encouragement. I appreciate what you're doing. You know what that does whenever somebody does that for me? Hey, I keep doing it. I do it even better next time. I do it more. That's one of the benefits of spurring one another on. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. It does people good to be told how highly we value them. There's many a Christian man and woman who would do better if now and then someone would speak a kind word to them and let them know they've done well. And I think that's absolutely correct. Why are we spurring each other on? To keep each other moving. What causes people to grow weary and to quit moving? Well, one of the major things they feel they're not appreciated. Let's take the time to encourage one another. Hey, I appreciate all the work you're doing, brother. I appreciate the song leading this morning. I'm blessed by it. A word of encouragement costs no more than a word of discouragement. Okay, consider that. Do you know a brother or sister that needs encouragement? Reach out to them this week. I want to encourage you to do that. I'm going to do the same. Do I know a brother or sister that needs to be spurred on, that needs a word of encouragement? Reach out to them. It only takes a few minutes. I know they'll appreciate it. When we talk about spurring each other on to love and good deeds, if we neglect this responsibility, it not only affects us, it affects our brother or sister because they're not benefiting from that. They're not maturing. Our responsibility is to one another. And again, the privilege is to be part of the body. I'm assuming we're going to have a song of invitation, Harold. If you're not currently a member of the Lord's Church, if you've not been baptized, I know it looks like it's cold out there, but I don't think it matters. If you've not put on the Lord in baptism, we want to invite you to come forward uh, at this song. If you have any other need of this congregation, uh, if I can assist you in any way as a visitor, uh, you let me know. Just come forward as we stand and sing.